0: Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Thousands of new members are flooding into Britain's trade unions, but thousands more are losing their jobs every day. We need to fight for every job, but is such a fight possible? Black Lives Matter and coronavirus inequalities have also thrown racism into the spotlight. Precarious work in the gig economy, and even sweatshop conditions in some areas are pressing issues for more and more of the working class. How can the unions lead a fight back here? Meanwhile, as major sections of the union leadership try to partner up with the government, rank and file union members with no choice but to fight have led heroic struggles themselves. What does this mean for how workers need to organise? This episode of Socialism looks at working class organisation in the new stage of the pandemic crisis. How do the unions need to fight now?
1: So we're here this episode with Rob Williams, who's the Socialist Party's National Industrial Organiser. Hello, Rob. Hello. And we're going to be talking about some of the changes which are happening for the trade unions right now. So I suppose the first question we have for you is that we've just seen an incredible, international, mass, young, working-class movement against racism with the Black Lives Matter protests uprising in reality in some cases in some countries. The Socialist Party has produced a model motion calling on trade union leaders to organise in support of this movement. What can the unions do to fight racism? So we're thinking about how to mobilise members, but also what demands to put forward, what the TUC's position on it is and so on.
2: Okay, well, first of all, I think it's true to say the unions were far too slow to the blocks as far as this movement was concerned. So, for instance, in Britain, a few weeks ago, we saw mass demonstrations. You know, I mean, in the space of a week, we must have seen in London alone a couple of hundred thousand people out on the streets. And of course, we saw big protests up and down the country as well. And unfortunately, we didn't see the unions organise as a distinct force which I think is very important because, let's be honest, it's been a fantastic movement, but there's a certain polarisation as well. And therefore the unions have a unique position in organising workers across all backgrounds, across all communities, and using their authority, particularly if they give a fighting lead, to all workers. And I know, of course, there are some workers that perhaps their initial reaction isn't to be supportive, but of course... If the organisation that's fighting in the workplace for better wages, terms and conditions, fighting for your jobs, clearly it sees those movements as positive, that can have an effect on your thinking as well. So first of all, I think the unions have to be involved. And unfortunately, I do think that was a certain reflection of this national unity mood. In the sense that I think the unions felt that they couldn't be seen to... Break the lockdown in that way, and I think that
1: was a mistake because they felt they needed to be on the same side as the government. I
2: think it's more the fact that when the pandemic struck straight away, then some of the union leaders did succumb to this idea that you know we've got to lower our banner, we've got to pause our disputes. There's a national unity mood, if you like. Well, we know what Boris Johnson thinks about national unity, (laughs) we know what the employers, we know what British Airways thinks about national unity there's a class unity for them. And of course, our position is there's got to be a class unity our side. And actually, when the pandemic played out, then of course, that pressure from workers has had an effect on the union. So therefore, the unions have been compelled to act during the pandemic for workplace safety. Now on the question of jobs, protecting income, I've got to give a shout out actually to the strike in Tower Hamlets that's taking place right now Mm. by Unison. We've seen Unite members, who aren't at this stage uh, taking action, refusing to cross picket lines, that is a very diverse workforce. That shows the point. That is a diverse workforce from all backgrounds and communities, but, of course, acting together against a Labour council scandalously, you know, using the worst methods of the private sector boss, really, sacking them and re-engaging them on worse terms and conditions. So the issue for us, I think, where the role of unions can play in this is, first of all, being visible. Mm-hmm being organised, of course taking all the necessary precautions and anyone who's been on these protests will know actually the precautions that were taken there. Everyone's wearing a mask, people are wearing latex gloves, people and social distancing. But the big thing is the programme and the demands. And, you know, it's now TUC policy and Socialist Party members played a big part in this that the TUC past Congress should have a jobs, homes, not racism programme. Truth is, that really hasn't been enacted properly. And what does that mm. mean? is that when we confront racism, of course we have to, but we also have to argue that the Labour and Trade Union movement has a set of demands that fights on the basic economic issues, fights for decent housing, fights for jobs, fights for pay rises, etc., in a united fashion. And I think that is very important. I just want to make this point. You see, I don't think it's... Accidental that this mass movement erupted at the time of COVID. Mm. Because unfortunately, George Floyd wasn't the first person killed by police in the United States. You know, we've had people in the UK treated abysmally by the police as well. And killed. And killed, of course. The difference is, of course, in COVID is that COVID has revealed as an emergency like this tends to do, like a war would, it tends to reveal the class brutality of society and of course what it's revealed is is that racism is linked to your class and social position as well so working class people as a whole are twice as likely as the average to get covid black and asian people i think i've seen some figures are four times as likely to get covid and of course big in that is related to their social and economic position in society it's related to their income their poverty it's related to the jobs they do it's related to housing as well. That's why those demands are so important.
1: And having the trade unions, the basic self-defence organisations of the working class, giving a leadership to mass movements like this is extremely important because, after all, it is united action by the working class which really has the power to push back racism and, in fact, to work towards a different sort of society where racism can be finally eradicated. And you can listen to more about that in episode 72 of the podcast. You can't have capitalism without racism. So the next question we'd like to deal with is how have the trade unions responded to the lockdown? You talked a little bit about the national unity mood of the trade union leaders and the TUC, which is the trade union congress, that's the umbrella organisation covering almost all of Britain's trade unions. Could you elaborate on that a bit more? Well, When
2: the pandemic first struck in a big fashion in the UK, certainly when lockdown first happened, then we saw a whole number of unions suspend disputes, call off action, etc. And I think that was because many of those leaders felt that for the unions to still carry on, if you like, in that independent fashion, would jar with this idea of we're all in this together. Well, anyone who's seen anything about the way Boris Johnson has acted and his government has acted, the way the employers have acted, then they are not concerned about national unity. You know, whether it's COVID, whether it's after COVID, they are governed by profits. Mm. And therefore, to them, working-class people have to pay. We absolutely reject that. Our position is then workers do not pay for this crisis in terms of their safety, in terms of their jobs and income. But of course, the difference in the trade union leaders, even the leaders of the TUC and, you know, certainly Labour Party leaders now, Starmer, etc. They do have a direct link to the members on the ground mm. and that pressure is felt. And therefore, I think the unions have played a role during Covid in a question of workplace safety. And of course, now the new stage probably is the issue of fighting to protect jobs, etc., But I think it's worth saying, of course, there was two processes from the beginning here. Yes, there was a national unity mood that too many of the trade union leaders succumbed to. But from the beginning, there was a rank and file mood of resistance that was reflected in a number of workplaces where rank and file action was taken. Many of it unofficial action, many of it using Section 44 of the Employment Rights Act. There was always that Pressure And, of course, what we saw, probably we saw, for instance, the health service, health workers fighting to get PPE. But, of course, we also saw the education workers, I think, inflicting at least a partial defeat on Johnson on the return to schools. And that was education workers linking up with parents in many instances to show what unions can achieve. Mm. And, of course, we've already heard it reported, even before COVID struck that unions have reported last two years, actually, a net increase in members. You know, it's still a long way to go, but nevertheless, that is important. And during COVID, we've seen unions report tens of thousands of new members, which shows you that actually unions build when the need to be in a union is seemed as most relevant mm. so therefore when do you join a union when you're fighting for your job when do you join a union when you're fighting for protecting your terms and conditions and of course you join a union when the basic workplace safety in fact your lives and your livelihoods are on the line but how you keep those members going forward depends on giving a fighting lead in the workplace. People will join a union because they think their basic interests are at stake. Whether they stay in a union depends, are those unions going to fight for me?
1: So, that's an interesting question, actually. You talk about a new stage opening up now for the trade unions after the lockdown in terms of what they are going to be required to do to defend their members' interests. And there are thousands of redundancies taking place on a daily basis. So at the same time, as many workers are joining trade unions, trade unions will also be losing members as their members lose their jobs. So does that make it impossible to fight? And related to this question, I think... Is this point you make about there being different processes even under the lockdown, with a big section, unfortunately, of the union leaders, as you say, succumbing to this false national unity mood at the same time as the actual membership of the unions, the rank and file in many cases was desperately organising and in many cases winning victories by fighting back. And you've seen in some trade union branches changes in elected leadership, there are certainly national union elections going on at the same time. So what does this mean for the trade unions going forward?
2: Well, I think you're right. There will be some union leaders who will think it's impossible. It's impossible to fight. That means the most we can hope for is to go into partnership with the employers, even with the Tory government. That's all our role can be. But our view is it's not that in a period like this it's impossible to fight. It means the what you have to do in that fight is on a far greater scale than was seemingly before. And what I mean by that is, is that is that... Look, if you're in a company that's threatening redundancies and closures, well, that is very difficult to fight, accepted, And, of course, particularly as we've had a situation where people are not in work, etc. But what it means is, what do you do to keep that place open? You know, our starting point is, how do we prevent those redundancies? How do we prevent those closures? And, therefore, it means that you have to consider methods like occupying factories, workplaces etc. Our position is we have to then twin that with fighting that if necessary those companies have to be taken into public ownership. Mm. And of course some people will say ah oh, well that's, that's impossible that's ridiculous. Well when you look back a previous Tory government the Tory government of Edward Heath in the early 1970s nationalised Rolls-Royce within 24 hours actually because that company was going down because of the significance, the importance of that company and in the upper Clydeside shipyards Again, at that time, where the workers did a form of occupation, that that led to a massive demonstration in Glasgow, and again Heath was forced to intervene. The point I'm making is, is that and, and by the way, even four years ago in Patalbot, you know, my hometown, the steelworks, were well, looked like they were going to be closed. It was a time where the European Union referendum was going on. Cameron was in a weak position, and we put forward the idea there that it should be taken into public ownership to save. Mm the steelworks at that time, but it became politically difficult for the Tories or under the Tories government for that steelworks to close. That steelworks is still going right now. So therefore, what I'm saying is it's not that it's impossible to fight. It just means that it's impossible not to conduct that fight on a far higher level, a scale of what needs. And we need to prepare workers for that. We need to popularize the idea of, you know, whatever's necessary to keep workplaces Open and build up that idea of what is needed right now because it is a hurricane of job losses. You look at the figures, what is taking place, and of course, this Tory government has been pushed by circumstances far further than you would imagine. Let's be honest if Jeremy Corbyn stood on a programme, really nowhere near what the Tories have done over the last few months, you know, that anyone would have imagined possible at that time, and therefore. The union movement needs to crystallise that into a programme of what is needed to keep places open, keep workers in jobs at this time.
1: So the political demands need to be far bolder, but in terms of, as you put it, doing whatever is necessary to save those jobs, what sort of tactics do you think that means?
2: Well, let's be honest. Right now, if a factory is threatened with closure, the unions need to be now thinking about can we occupy that factory? That needs to be prepared though. That idea needs to be thought and discussed in advance within the movement. That needs to be part of a discussion that we need to generate within the union movement at all levels right now. Because that's what's posed. Any worker going into work today is probably thinking, How long is this place going to stay open? Well, if that's if that's on the horizon, or you know, if that's posed, you know, up front, well, why aren't we discussing it? Why aren't we debating whether that's possible? And I, I'll say this. You have an example at this time where workers take that type of action, force the government to intervene, then the, once that example is set, by the way, that can happen anywhere. Mm. And that's the discussion we need to be had. Now, of course, we want to go further than that. Our position is really the type of society, the socialist society that we are fighting for. We are saying to workers in your everyday struggle that is posed about saving your jobs, but actually That is the germ of a new socialist society that we believe is necessary. The idea of nationalising the economy, a socialist plan of production, that is what we believe is necessary. But actually, that is paused point blank right now, just to keep workers in their livelihoods.
1: And workers taking control of industry democratically as well. So, suppose you're a worker and your job is under threat and you've gone, right, I've joined the union, I agree with what you're saying, Rob, I want to have a serious fight to save this job for me and my community. My union leaders don't seem to want to lead that fight. What's to be done?
2: Well, I think, first of all, you start from what is necessary. I mean, I would say there are organisations. Some of us play a big role in the National Shop Stewards Network, which I think is an important organisation, to talk to workers across unions, to give an example of that. Obviously, we have us in the Socialist Party... We have a wealth of experience in that. And again, I think that is important. It's an old cliche, but we don't just look at history as an academic exercise. We do it to learn from the past. And of course, workers would be amazed to know what's in our heritage. You know, the examples where workers have fought, where workers have occupied factories as part of a process of keeping those open, you know, keeping those places alive. So that all is in our history. But of course, it's to learn that to go forward. So... I think the National Shop Stewards Network is a very important place for workers to come to, to organise in that way. But, of course, in the respective unions, the fact is is that we want to transform the unions into fighting organisations. Mm. So, therefore, it starts, if you like, in your own workplace. But, of course, there are workers across those unions, members across those unions that want to fight. And, therefore, we have examples where unions are not static. Unions can be transformed into fighting organisations.
1: So... We've talked quite a lot about some of the more traditional industrial workplaces here. We focused on factories and so on. Of course, it's not just factories, but high street retail has been in crisis for many years, actually, but it's been exacerbated by the pandemic crisis. But there's also the newer sectors of the economy, super exploited workers in the gig economy, for example, or migrant workers and a particularly... Heartbreaking example of that is the sweatshops with slave labour conditions in Leicester, which have come under attack because they've been a component in initiating a second wave in that city of the virus. Now, these are very vulnerable sections of the workforce, which don't traditionally have trade union organisation, may feel that it's more difficult for them to enter struggle why do we argue that these super-exploited workers also need to join the trade unions, and how could the unions be more effective at organising these unorganised <clears throat> workers? Well, f- first of all, you've got to remember that when unions were built in the
2: first place, they were for a minority of workers. The reason why trade unions are called trade unions was because initially they really organised the skilled workers. It was only in the late 19th century they took on the form that we recognise now into mass unions of unskilled semi-skilled workers the period of new unionism that's when the mass union started to be built in britain and of course those workers were seen in very much the same way you Mm. know It was impossible to organise them. How could you organise them? They didn't have a sort of intrinsic skill in that way. And, of course, when we talk about insecure work, well, you could argue that all work was insecure (laughs) at that stage. That was the period, you know, of the dockers going down to the wharves and the docks every day looking for work and stuff. Workers were precarious at that stage. So that's how the unions were founded. And, of course, we have seen some really good examples in the last sort of decade or so, really, We've seen workers fighting zero-hour contracts and organising workers on zero-hour contracts. We've seen the fantastic victory by the Bakers Union, novice in the last 10 years. Fantastic victory with those workers. We've seen small independent unions sometimes, not just them, but some of those have played a very good role in organising workers in insecure employment, including the gig economy.
1: Yeah, Deliveroo couriers, for example.
2: Exactly, Uber Eats, many of them, actually, playing a really fantastic role in organising those workers. And, of course, migrant workers. Again, some of the more well-established unions are doing that, but also, again, some of the small independent unions organising them, fighting outsourcing, trying to bring workers back in house, some of them succeeding in doing that. So, Mm. look, in the end of the day, the unions are built by organising workers who need those unions the most. And anyone who sees the situation today, many of those workers need to be in the union movement. So young workers, workers from a black and Asian background, women workers, migrant workers, etc. This is the working class. And the fact is, is that many of those who can be attracted to the unions can be the best fighters. And then the union movement has a role then in showing them that the working class united is potentially the most powerful force in society.
1: So in terms of how unions could do more to reach these layers and organise them, what do you think?
2: Well, I think every workplace is a potential stronghold of the trade union movement, but you have to be out there. You know, you have to go to those workplaces, but also you set the example. i give you a good example. is when, for instance, the IWGB started to organise in Deliveroo. Well, that became a high-profile campaign when the Baker's Union organised workers at McDonald's. So... If you're seen as fighting and hopefully winning, mm. then, of course, that is the best example. The UCU is a very good example. This is a union.
1: So that's the University and College Union.
2: This is Yeah, this is a union that organises lecturers and academic staff in further and higher education. It's a union that's been around you know, for a bit in its respective predecessor unions as well, and it's had a tough time because education has been casualised, it's been privatised. It was a union that suffered a few blows, actually, but, two three years ago, he was involved in a dispute in higher education on pensions, and it was a fantastic dispute. It became an uprising, and it was really because a layer of young graduates who filled out the union became activated in the union. Many of them, by the way, weren't even in a pension scheme, led that dispute, and it was because... It was all about the issues that face young people in education right now of privatisation, of casualization, the idea that you do all that study and you get into a situation and really you're a precarious worker. Mm. And that dispute was fantastic. And really, it's opened up to the possibility of really strengthening and developing that union. And actually, we'd already seen on national and the localised stages of the union being transformed, actually, by many of those Young activists taking their place in the union as well. So the way I would look at it is is that that's the irony, isn't it? People will look at the situation and think, oh, we can't do anything because it's too difficult. No, it's when it's too difficult, when workers are finding it difficult, when workers are finding they've got no alternative but to fight. That's the best thing to build the unions and to fight in organisations.
1: And as always, if you like what you hear, then don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. The night to help fund us, and if you agree, join the socialists. Anything else you'd like to add, Rob?
2: I also think that have a look at the National Shop Stewards Network, have a look at our website. We do a weekly
1: bulletin. So that's shopstewards.net, the website?
2: Yeah, we do a weekly bulletin. goes out every week, and in it you'll find virtually every dispute that happens. <laughs> but also, importantly, tell us about your disputes, tell us about your action, and tell us if you need some assistance as well. Thanks very much, Rob.
0: Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. Today we heard from Rob Williams, speaking to James Ivans, and I'm Scott Jones. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. The Socialist event of the year will be Socialism 2020. It's an open forum of discussion and debate over four days, the 20th to the 23rd of November joined hundreds of socialists, trade unionists and working class fighters to discuss the way forward in this unprecedented crisis of capitalism. We're scheduling it online but if in-person sessions become possible you can upgrade your ticket nearer the time. Read more and book now at socialism2020.net You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast and if you want to get in touch email socialismpodcast.com socialistparty.org.uk. Do you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for? We need you. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. And if you live outside England and Wales, but want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism the podcast has no wealthy backers. We rely on funding from the working class which maintains our political independence. So help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Till next time, Solidarity.